1: Catch and Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media. Catch and Shoot 2.0 goes well with both red and white and is perfect with the workout of your choice. Our hosts are Aaron Berlin, a former Kansas Jayhawk who believes the Orlando Magic will win the championship. Eventually. (laughs) His partner is Otto Strong, a man who has covered the NBA since before Dennis Rodman got his first tattoo fellas.
2: Thanks so much, Darlene. I'd like to say that this week's show is going to be similar to what we've done in previous weeks, but there's no way that it can and there's no way that it should. And with everything going on with not only our world, but also in the basketball community, this is going to be a very different show than what you've heard. We are going to have some good in-depth conversations. Mark Spears, senior writer or senior NBA writer for The Undefeated and ESPN will join us and we're going to talk everything that's going on with the NBA, with how its players are responding to the current social unrest. But before we get to that, I have to welcome in my cohort, my partner in crime. His name is Otto Strong. And, you know, Otto, we always like to say that we get to work in sports. So a lot of times we get to avoid conversations like this, you know, When we went to journalism school and we went to school in general, you know, our ideas were that we were going to cover sports and we were going to cover things that happened within the sports universe. And that was our way of maybe avoiding real issues and real things that were happening outside of that. We don't get that privilege today and we shouldn't get that privilege today.
1: No no, uh, and well said sir and you know it's it's an important time for you know everybody to kind of take a moment and reflect on on what we've heard and what we've seen and um and you know, as it relates to to sports you know it, it it's it's one of those moments where you know if you if you didn't think that the guy wearing the jersey is human, you know it kind of jerks you back real quick to let you know that you know we're all you know. We're all in this, we're all suffering, you know um to varying degrees, of course, um but it, it's it's you know it is it's as real as it gets
2: yeah, and this is really the first time that I've had my eyes open to it, you know to be honest um I, I'd like to say that you know I, i've I haven't been ignorant but but I have been you know there's a part in this conversation that we have with Mark and full disclosure, we taped this before we did the open of this show but There's a a point in the conversation where he goes, why did it take us to get to this point when things have happened in years prior? You know, this isn't the first instance. And, you know, when I was listening to that, that hit home for me because it was the first time that I can remember being as outraged, frustrated and just angered as I have been the last few days. And, you know, it's, it's part of a bigger problem. And it's, it's part of a bigger issue of not recognizing and being ignorant to those things. But uh, f- for the people who will stick around for that conversation, it's a very eye-opening one. It's a very deep one. And I, I thought that it was very heartfelt on all, th- all of our ends.
1: Mm. Yeah, well, well said. I mean, um, it, it's just, um, you know, I just feel like rocked to my core um, to be honest, you know, um, and, and this is something I've seen before. This is something I've covered before. In 1992, I was a, a cub reporter at the LA times. And, you know, I think, you know, to, to the extent that a six foot six person could be a cub, anything, but, but, you know, I was a young guy coming up and, and, you know, I was not in, I wasn't, uh, there at the time that the riots happened, but shortly thereafter, you know, was was in the community and, and saw the the devastation firsthand, and um, I think upwards, if I'm not mistaken, upwards of 60 people died in that um, in that. And the the big difference is that that was something that was very specific to L.A. What we see now um, is something that is nationwide, obviously, in in cities large and small, cities that you might not think would have um, a level of outrage. I'm talking about your Des Moines, Iowa, your Salt Lake City. Um, but, um, but again, it's something that has, has you know, gripped the nation unlike, um, and I've seen a few of these, but unlike anything I've experienced before.
2: Yeah. To see semi-trucks just barreling towards crowds, to see protesters with their hands up being, uh, pepper sprayed and, you know, taken into custody. It's, it's not okay. And it's a conversation that needs to happen. And it's a conversation th- th- that we will have in this show, um, before we get to that, Otto, um, you, you know, we did get some um, news earlier today from Adrian Wojnarowski that is NBA related, talking about the season essentially beginning at the end of July, kind of traveling towards the end of uh, October. You know, that, that's essentially three and a half months of basketball to get to the conclusion of, of, of a season. It feels long, especially when you think for those teams that play all the way through October where do you even start the next campaign? You know um, we're getting too far into this almost.
1: Yeah. um, uh, So too far in meaning that you feel like
2: just that, just that we're almost too late into the calendar year to have a successful conclusion to a season and then be able to restart or not restart, but start another campaign in end of December, early January.
1: Well, I mean, look, there, there are many questions. I mean, you know, the, the, Covid nineteen is not a term we've we've heard a lot this week for obvious reasons, but you know that is still around, and people need to, you know, figure out. The league needs to figure out how that's going to work. Um, you know, we've, we've if you've heard anything about the NBA season, you've heard about this bubble, and perhaps where all players and media and anybody who has anything to do with whatever happens in Orlando stays in the bubble, and who who comes and who goes, and how long do you stay? And there are a ton of questions, and what happens if you know if, if there's a second wave and Um, you know, a host of questions, but I I mean, I think one of the things I guess the NBA has decided is that a, a conclusion to this season is more important than a, than a a definitive Christmas day start, uh, for the 20 slash 21 season.
2: What kind of ramifications can that have on the league? If if the league does not start until after Christmas Day, say they go for a January one start. They end October. They end October thirty first. They have two months of a rest. You essentially start training camps the week of, either maybe the week prior to Christmas or on Christmas week. What does that do for the league moving forward? Is their calendar just permanently moved?
1: Uh, they, they may have a, a, a shifting calendar for a couple of a season or two until they can kind of get back to. Uh, to, to starting, I think, on Christmas Day, which seems to be what they, what they want, but um, we will have plenty of time to chew on this.
2: Absolutely. Future conversations of this, but there's a bigger one at hand, and now it's time to welcome in Mark Spears, NBA senior writer for The Undefeated.
1: Well, I have the distinct honor of introducing today's guest. He is a man I have known for 20 years, if not longer. He is Mark Spears, senior NBA writer at The Undefeated. Mark, how you doing? Oh man! I've had better days <laughs> all right well, I you gotta I could,
3: laugh to keep' from crying you know i uh, i could I
1: could understand that
3: i definitely have had better days, but um you know, let's hope that sometimes with pain will come some some joy and people that I think are really finally ready to to help um black people people of color. Um, or inspired to um, really do when the hashtag starts dying off and uh, the dust settles and the uh, the protests stop. Like, I'm really curious to see, you know, where we are a year from now and see uh, who put their, you know, money and effort and time and, and heart behind all the tweets and posts and, and words of today.
1: So, Mark, before, before we get to, the, to, to that point, I've known you, like I said, for, for, for quite some time. And unfortunately, we've seen incidents like this for, for far too long. Yeah. What have you seen within the last week from, from a player perspective that has kind of either surprised you or shocked you or made you think that this might be different?
3: I think from a, a player perspective, I think the difference is social media makes you too comfortable. You know, it 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 makes it real easy. And this is with all due respect to send out a tweet, to make an Instagram post, to say something on Facebook, to you know. So when I see uh, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon, Trey Young, um, Cal, Cal, Carl Anthony Towns, whose mother passed from COVID, when I see Josh Okogie. Um, some of the Mavericks players, um, and I know I'm surely missing some people. Udonis has them like it warms my heart when I see them out in public with the people, you know, mm-hmm. getting a bull, getting a, a bullhorn or megahorn or whatever you call them, and 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 speaking to the people and and telling them, hey, let's do this peacefully. Let's let's protest with um, a passion and a purpose and and a plan. Um, and so I think where I have been disappointed in is that you, you've seen tweets and Instagram posts, but it's some of the stars of the game and I, I don't want to call them out by name because everybody does things in their own way I think some of the stars of the game really underestimate like how much power they have in their presence you know, it, it's if your tweets have that much presence, how much does you in person have um, in presence? So I would love to see the LeBron James and the Steph Curry, even if they're not comfortable walking in public, uh, perhaps doing interviews or being on video, talking to folks, um, people seeing their faces, seeing their f- pain like Steven Jackson's taking on a lot right now. Um I seen comedian like Jamie Foxx came to San Francisco to speak to the people. He's not from San Francisco. But I really respected that. Um so I think seeing these guys with these huge, huge platforms like Jalen Brown driving sixteen hours so he could be part of it. Or Harrison Barnes tweeting out today, hey we're going to do something on Sunday in Sacramento. And this is what it is like. I really, really respect that because it takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of confidence. It takes, um, you know, some security. It, It takes some passion to actually walk outside amongst the people and hug them and be there with them. So for the guys that have, done that man the 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 biggest respect in the world to all of them because i know that this is much different than this is uh, this is bigger than basketball and um for them to go outside their homes especially during the covid time and participate basically speaks volumes about the person that they are again that's not to denigrate the bigger names, the bigger stars. But I do wonder like how many of the all-stars have we seen out publicly, you know, Um, hopefully more of them feel comfortable doing it because their voices, people stop when they speak. And um, I, I like to see them use more of that power that they have.
2: Mark, you mentioned Steven Jackson and you had a really good conversation with him on The Undefeated about his personal relationship with George Floyd. Can can you just kind of cover that for our listeners?
3: Yeah, uh, Stephen Jackson, former NBA player, probably um, known best for winning the title with the Spurs in 2003, being part of the Malice in the Palace, uh, being suspended 30 games for that, and also being a part of the We Believe Warriors. Just coincidentally, in high school, met a guy by the name of george floyd they called each other twin because they looked alike and they if people probably thought they really were brothers because they did look alike um friendship maintained it was an honest friendship anybody that knows Jack knows that and i told him when we talked he he was a hundred before a hundred was a word in in terms of being honest and so I'm sure they had a really, really honest and open friendship and uh, dialogue because uh, it, it was one that lasted long past high school. And I shoot, I can't tell you, I'm cordial and cool with a lot of people I went high school with, but I, there's probably a handful of people I've act- I actually like do more than talk to on Facebook. So that tells me that their their friendship is is pretty real. Um, and so they kept in touch, and then there was the tragic you know, murder of um, George Floyd and suddenly you got this guy that was a retired NBA player who was doing things on Showtime and making his presence known on television and now he became the face of a movement. And oftentimes in these kind of things, the person that ends up being the face doesn't ask for it. It just happens that way. And so his friendship with, you know, George Floyd thrust him into a spotlight. Jax has been in Minneapolis since. um, Did a press conference last week in Minneapolis, was doing a lot of press, whether in in person or on the phone or on Zoom or whatever, IG Live. He's he's been a huge, huge presence. And I think the thing that's also been impressive about him is while he was known for his. passion and his his fight and his win by any means necessary kind of style of play. Um even with the big three, we forget he played for the big three. Um he's showing a lot of compassion right now, a lot of strength, a lot of love. Uh he made a point to tell me that there's been somebody of every race that he's told that he loves him. How many people could say that? And um he hasn't even had time to grieve yet. Perhaps Thursday during the funeral, he—that's the day where it, it truly hits him. But I mean, Jax is—I um, think—by the grace of God, been the right person to have in front of this uh, front of this movement.
1: Where do you think we go from here? You know, you talked about a year out. What is, in your opinion, what does four to six months look like? If that's it. <laughs> oh Otto,
3: how do how do you hit fifty yet? Are you close? Uh, I did. Okay, you got me beat by a few years. I, I haven't hit fifty yet. So, know if I'm out of pocket, tell me I'm wrong. Our, our George Floyd was uh, Rodney King, right? Meaning our generation,
1: yep. exactly.
3: Um for my parents, your parents, it was civil rights movement. For my grandparents, it was their whole life, you know, um, and we could go back 400 years. Um, so I think the thing I like talk to my sister, Courtney, if she listens and like uh, love my sister dearly. And she, she always has some really good perspective. That kind of surprises me, uh, you know, cause she, she could get emotional, and he did And so I think the question that I I think would be, I would love to see answered by all my friends who are white that I know, like the Bruce Bernsteins of the world, like are good-hearted people regardless of race. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I feel like Bruce Bernstein would, if I needed help, he'd be there for me. You know what I'm saying? And race has nothing to do with it. He, he just, That's just him as a man. He'd be there for me. Um, but I would even ask the Bruce Bernstein of the world, like, why is now different for, like, white America? Like, why didn't people pay attention to Colin Kaepernick and, like, pay attention to his real message? Like, it was it was blinded by this so-called disrespect of the flag when it really had nothing to do from the, with the flag it had everything to do with fighting against police brutality and using that you know kneeling during the song and i, I think that probably media at large as well as the nfl owes kaepernick an apology whether it's the CNNs or my company or all the other sports channels or all the other news networks for not accurately portraying his message. Instead of sticking to the core values of his message, it was always uh, kept getting turned back to the flag and why you're disrespecting the flag. Like I think Jerry Jones owes Kaepernick a huge apology. All the NFL owners owe Kaepernick a huge apology. Uh, Roger Goodell owes him an apology. Like, he'll never... I don't think he'll ever play again. But I spent time with Colin Kaepernick, and yeah, there's been some missteps. Um, perhaps what drives me most nuts about his movement is we don't hear from him. Like, I'd love to hear from him right now. Sure. I know he's he's, he's smart, and he's eloquent, and he has some amazing things to say. And I wish he could be on the forefront of this too like his silence drives me insane sometimes because i think his voice is so powerful that he could lead people like most most humans can the the, the youth would listen to him blacks would listen to him people with righteous hearts will listen to him you know but he's not he doesn't speak so um So it goes back to my question, like, what is it about George Floyd that suddenly has woken people up? Is it because now COVID's here, people are home, they're paying attention to it. I mean, Ahmaud Arbery's video was a month earlier, didn't create the same kind of passion, you know what I mean? Or Rodney King getting beat by police, like when... I I recall the anger I felt when I was growing up in San Jose when the verdict came out and the police didn't get jailed over it. And I wanted to go out and yell and scream and fight and do crazy things. And my mom would have let me. So um, I know I'm going in circles here, but so I, I asked my sister, I'm like, what is it about this that's different? why uh, suddenly is this something where white america is like we have to be better we have to do something we have to take charge we want to stand next to our black brothers and sisters and my sister said you know what stop worrying about answer that question and start worrying about the fact that now they're here better late than ever mark and, this is and... Go ahead, Bruce.
0: No, no, I'm sorry. Uh, First of all, thank you for the kind words uh, that you had for me. And I just want to share a little story with you. Uh, You know Monica McNutt. You did our show uh, back after Kobe passed. And uh, I did a a, a conversation with her and Mike Wise, whom you also know on his show, uh, about some of these issues. And I had made a, a comment that really sort of triggered something in her. I had said... That one of my biggest concerns about our society was that we all sometimes have a tendency to live in our own little echo chamber where we get reinforced by the people who look like us, whatever. And I wasn't talking about her. I was really sort of talking about me. And I was saying, you know, we need to we need to step outside of this bubble because if I, if all I do is hang around with people that are the same as me, that doesn't really make me any better. It doesn't make me any, uh, any more understanding, but she was very, she got very emotional. And she, you know, she said, Bruce, that's a, that's an example of your privilege, your, you know, white privilege in that you have the option of kind of doing that. She's there for me to be, you know, to, to get affirmation. A lot of times I need to be, around people like myself. And when that happened on Sunday night, when we recorded that show, I was stunned because she really kind of came back at me, but Monica's a really good friend. And I've told Monica that I love her. In fact, I tell her I love her every week because I do, okay? Love you too, but I don't know that I ever told you that, but Monica, I tell it to her all the time. So I listened to what she said about three times and I'm a different person than I was before that, because. I now realize, and I have a little bit more empathy for what folks uh, in, in, say that don't have the advantage of that privilege are going through. I think she made me a better person because she really kind of shook me up a little bit and made me understand. And we're very good friends, right? So yeah. I, I, I just want, you know, you to know, you know, as a friend that, I think I'm better have, after having had that discussion with her and I see things yeah. through a different lens now and I'm very grateful that she kind of grabbed me by the lapels and said, "Wait a minute, pal. Wait a minute, pal. You know, see this my way." So, I thank Monica. I think, you know, yeah. and I thank you as well, and I think we all kind of needed, you know, this wake-up call. I just hope we don't hit snooze.
1: Yeah.
3: Well, that that's the thing. So the answer to the question is I'm really curious to see where we are four months from now. If, you know, is, is George hashtag George Floyd going to be just a hashtag or is it going to be a movement? Like, it's cool to say I'm sorry and I'm down and I'm angry now, but when the dust settles, are are those people going to be there? I, I'm, I'm confident Bruce is going to be there, but. Time will tell, man. I'll be curious. I'll be curious. I mean, and honestly, man, I I didn't know everybody, like, was excited about the Undefeated or understood the purpose of the Undefeated with ESPN and how we deal with race and culture. And I told one of my colleagues, oftentimes I felt like I got looked at as the angry black Negro writer. You know what I mean? I uh, here here he goes. Oh, he's making notice of the Pistons. Uh, don't have anybody black in the um, in in uh, free agency right now. I mean, in uh, in their front office after Malik Rose left. Ah, oh, here, here he goes, the troublemaker guy again. But if you read my tweets, everything is factual. It's factual. Just pointing things out, and I, I do hope that four months from now like it's it, it's easy for these companies and these teams and the NFL to put out a statement. Um, but where four months from now, when that statement, it gets brought up again, are you going to be proud of what your company did, what you did as a person to help society, help people of color, help mankind, help women, help – gays help lgbtq community everybody man everybody like let's give everybody a fair shot and whoever is the best person wins like let everybody apply for the job let everybody get an opportunity and i think it's also important for people like just because it ain't you you don't mean you shouldn't stand up for them like i grew up around more hispanics and asians and i did black people So, if somebody disrespects Asians, I don't like that. They disrespect Hispanics, I don't like that. And if somebody disrespects white people, I need to probably stand up a little firmer too. You know, like, no, none of us were born, and somebody said, uh, okay, your birth certificate says Mark Joseph Spears. Um, What nationality would you like to be? What race would you like to be? You know what I mean? Nobody asked me. I was black, you know. When I was a kid, I grew up in a in a neighborhood where um, there was a Portuguese family, a Korean family, an African family, a black family, a uh, Mexican family, um, you know, all these different families. Uh, we just, we knew we were all different, but we all were like, I have a... a a family I grew up next next to my whole life Mexican family, if I needed a place to stay for a month, all I had to do was make a call. You know what i mean uh the 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 girl I grew up with next door is like my big sister, and she treats me as such, and I was blessed to grow up in San Jose. My mom's from New Orleans, my dad was from St Louis they grew up in all black neighborhoods, segregated, so I was Fool to think like the whole world was like San Jose was like diverse like that till I visited New Orleans until I visited St. Louis till I went to Foothill College for junior college and suddenly I was the only person of color in a lot of the classes And, and I got woke up so I just hope that that fire that not only just my white brothers and sisters my Asian brothers and sisters my Hispanic brothers and sisters like that fire that they feel today, that anger that they have today
2: that it don't it don't stop. Yeah, absolutely, Mark. That was that was really powerful and I really appreciate you um saying those things and you, you know, you you mentioned the undefeated and its purpose and how, you know, it, it's not just looking at sports through a single lens, but it's looking at everything around it. Your piece on Devin George was really powerful, not just the way he spoke, but also the way he articulated the fact that while we are mourning as a nation and we're angry as a nation together, the riots are certainly not helping. They're glossing over the message.
3: It it was really interesting to talk to him um, because he's from there and he has property and he's a black man and he's met George Floyd, and he's been on that corner where the murder happened. Um, So it it was unique because he got hit in a lot of different ways. Um, You know, uh, Devin George is from Minneapolis and now resides half of the year in Sacramento where his wife is from. He has three young boys, black boys, so it hit him that way. So, But I think what really bothered him was that um, he he doesn't think that a lot of people realize like and I, I realize this living in Oakland like how hard it is to get certain like stores grocery stores and whatnot in black communities in underserved communities and you know different communities like I live in East Oakland ain't no Target in East Oakland. Everything is like just mom and pop stores and um, they got their little grocery stores or whatever, but, you know, you're not going to get no luckies or no, you know, Trader Joe's or, and so when you burn down that tar- that target that got looted in Oakland it ain't but a couple of years old. It just got there. You know, uh, Oakland has had struggles getting, some of the bigger stores, because I think part of it is racism, part of it is you know worried about stuff like this, part of it is they don't think the people can afford a Nordstrom or whatnot. Um, so George was like, man, that that Target, you know, it, it took a while to get it there, and now it may come back to Save Mart. With all due respect, to Save Mart or something, you know what I mean, or Jimmy's Supermarket, because Maybe Target doesn't want to come back anymore. So that's where I think, like, people don't understand, like, the things that they're burning down. If you go, I read um, a website in Minneapolis where it gave a list of all the damaged buildings, and one of the things that crushed me was seeing that there was a low-income housing development that was almost completed that was burned to the ground. Like, I don't I think the protesters need to know, like, who's who's affected, not just immediately but long-term. Like, how many people have lost jobs that were already lo- – their money was tight because now the place of employment doesn't exist anymore. You work at Target. Do you have a job today? I don't know if those people have a job today, you know. Um, you might have – there might have been a a, a family – underserved family who finally got a home, finally got a home in this development and it's burned down. So I think quietly through all this pain that George Floyd's brother said, you know, we don't need diluting. We don't need the damage of the properties because that is something that's going to be painful for a lot of people that those stories I think will come out more and more as the days pass. And it's if, if you go to South Central today, uh, I mean, like, South Central, to me, seems like it just started recovering from, in recent years, from the Rodney King. And maybe because, that's because it's gentrifying. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Um, so there's just a lot of damage that is done in so many different ways with burned down, looted, and damaged buildings. Um, I mean, I understand the pain and, and I understand the voice, but there's so much pain that comes from, from each fire.
1: Right. And, and you spoke earlier about, about, um, you know, our, our Rodney King, cause we we're a little bit older. Um, my first job was a trainee at the LA times. And, and one of the, one of the assignments that I had in September of 92 was to go down and try to try to figure out where businesses are, know four to six months later which is why i was asking the question earlier um you know obviously i've not been in the market in quite some time um um, but but it is something that that we the the institutions that are that are media are going to have to hold people to account and come back and and you know continue to ask the question as to you know what is happening and and how are things changing Um, yeah um Switching gears a little bit, I'm just and I, I know this is a hard pivot, and a hard turn, but I would we'd be remiss if we didn't ask you or get your thoughts on on where the state of play might be with respect to the season, which I know it's it's trivial in the grand scheme of things. No, we can talk We we, talk, we, we, we were righteous. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you always ran, are ran and have always been. <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, hopefully
3: people don't turn deaf on me, man. I just, I just want a better place, man.
1: Yeah, totally, totally get that. Um, with respect to a, a season, whether it's the close of this current season that's still going on, or, or the start of a new one, what is, what does your crystal ball tell you?
3: Well, the crystal ball shows something different every day. <laughs> It's so fluid, man. Every every day it seems to be something different, and so uh, my esteemed colleague, talented colleague, Adrian Wojnarowski has reported that, and uh, they're expecting a twenty-two team league that probably start. I mean, twenty-two team um, finish of the league that probably will give some a couple teams in the East, maybe four teams in the West, an opportunity to make the playoffs, and keep eight teams at home. Um, It just seems so long to me because they're talking about maybe the finals end in the middle of October, which basically means when the next NBA season would start would probably be January, right? Um, Because you're going to have to give them some time between the two seasons. Um, But I I think what the NBA wants to do and why it's – like people are like probably thinking like why is it pushed back so far uh, I'm guessing that the NBA has decided that that's the furthest they could push it back and it gives them more time to learn different technologies to fight against viruses whether it's on the court or the ball or the venues to to figure out the right, right way to do their uh village at Disney um to hopefully maybe come up with a virus uh, repellent, uh, you know, solution to the coronavirus uh, cure, which I, I don't know if it could come that fast, but nor should we trust something that fast. But that's uh, so why that must be the furthest out that they could push it. Um, so you're basically talking about in August and September, like it's funny, Otto, you've been around the NBA a long time. Man, I remember Steph Curry's dad saying during the finals last year that uh, – or, yeah, he said, yeah, When I told Steph when the Warriors made it to the finals, like, my Charlotte Hornets, who he does TV for, we we stopped playing two months ago. <laughs> exactly. Which is true. It's like the NBA playoffs take forever, man. Yeah. So that's why I wish, and I know there'll probably be some teams bad as me saying this, like, at this point, man, I, I wish they would just get straight to the playoffs or play some preseason games to to warm up and get going. You know, like, two and a half months to get the season over with when you're going to be in one place the whole time? sure. Yeah. For, the, for the people that are going to make the long haul, for the teams that are going to win NBA championships, boy, I mean, yeah, they're going to be ready to get out of there. And then I, my guess is, like, the NBA draft will be the next week. So I like and foresee if I am one of the chosen few, the to, to media that is able to make it, which I, I do want to be, I can see us being in Orlando for three months.
2: Well, if you're in Orlando for three months, Mark, make sure you say hi because that's that's where I'm currently at and you know, I, I can attest to this. the but, but happiest you know place on know, earth would get tiring I don't after I three did. months. Like, I don't,
3: <laughs> that's true. I don't know what the rules are. I don't I don't know. Can I leave the bubble? Can I go
2: You're just confined to the Disney bubble tab? at all times. You're yeah, there. Yeah. You're in I it.
3: I talked to Charles Davis, who who lives out there and he's like, Man, you want to get away and I, I can cook some barbecue at the house and you're welcome to come and like I was like, man, I'm trying to one figure out if I could get there, and two, if I'm stuck there. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what what the rules are yet, or if I'm going to be part of it. I hope I'm part of it, but boy, this is a a unique year, to say the least.
2: It really is, you know, Mark. And the thing I keep going back to is. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who work in the professional baseball industry. You know, the thing they're talking about over and over and again is they don't even know if they're going to have a season because their owners and their players and their league can't come to any kind of a conclusion. Why do the players and the league seem to understand the greater good of this far better than any of the other leagues? Or am I just misinterpreting that?
3: Um I just think they got the best leadership. Like Adam Silver is excellent at his job. Well, imagine if he was president right now. Um uh Mark Tatum is an excellent number two who could easily run those other leagues. Um it all starts at the top. And with all due respect to the other commissioners, NBA just got to, has it. They just have it. They have. Uh, they understand the strength of their community, strength of their players, uh, the diversity of their players, the diversity of a league that is represented all over the world, never has taken, um, you know, uh, that for granted. And uh, I just think the rest of the leagues and in, in, in North America, and I'm not going to speak for the Europa Champions League of soccer. I'm a big soccer fan. Go Arsenal. But um, I, I don't think that anybody can compete with the leadership in North America that those two guys
1: give. And Mark, we also have. And,
3: and and that's not to say that all thirty owners are are or for the cause. I definitely won't say that. Yeah. But you asked but me they, about but they all seem to be. You driving asked me towards about the guys going. that run the league. You know the owner ownership. Issues are are, are it, there's issues through every league in terms of uh, people running the teams.
1: Hey, Mark, I, I know we're pushing up on time, but before we go, I need to ask you about Wes Unseld what um, in any any stories, any remembrances. Um... I, I just remember when I
3: first started covering the league in
1: '99.
3: Man, he's just a mountain of a man. He's mm. a huge, huge man. And at that time, he was kind of winding up in terms of his work career uh, with the Wizards. I got to know Wes Unsell Jr. pretty well. Actually advised him on a barber in Denver that I think he still uses. Um, And he's just uh, a solid, great, just poised man. And I know he got it from his father. You know, um, Wes Unsell was a phenomenal rebounder, perhaps the greatest rebounder in NBA history. Um, was a champion. Uh, the patriarch of the Wizards Bullets family. Um, he was a coach. He was a general manager. He did things that a lot of uh, blacks during his area era didn't get the time to. So he was a pioneer in that regard. Tough guy. <laughs> <laughs> he like you see him, man. I like definitely intimidating definitely intimidating and uh i I don't know why i remember this man but he always i i I think his son said man yeah he 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 got it all them years running up and down the court i remember he always had tennis shoes on like you know comfortable shoes even though he had a suit on i always remember that but um I, i wish i think i came at a time to cover the nba when he was starting to I move on to the you know the retired part of his life so I definitely get didn't get the opportunity to speak with him like like I would like to but boy I respected him and I know he he's had health issues for a long time but um I'm glad to have met him I definitely know his story he's a hall of famer he's a legend and um he to me is like Mr. Wizard Bullet whatever you call their franchise now he 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 is the when you when you think you know how they did those memes or tweets recently when you see this you, who do you think of when I see wizards or bullets I, I think of Weston Cel for sure
1: and, and and our great producer just uh is is letting us know there's one of two guys who was rookie of the year and MVP in the same season obviously will be in the other so um um uh, hey man um it has been. An absolute pleasure to talk to you. Obviously, um, we could do uh, would have been better under different circumstances, but um, I feel like uh, no, I feel no, like no, no, no.
3: I'm not gonna say that. I think shoot, one thing we can't. I, I think we need more and more auto. Is like, and and I implore all people, man. Like, ain't no stupid questions. Like, if if you want to find out, like, somebody that really wants change, like. You're not black, and you curious. What, what What should I do? Ask somebody that you really respect and trust, and you know, doing great things in society, and, and find somebody black that you you know you really look up to, and ask them what you should do. Yeah, but know that just your that a presence alone and having
1: conversations is, is big. Well, well, well said and uh if you do wind up in the bubble if uh you don't have too much else to do we may call on you if you don't mind to have another one of these chats. (laughs) so uh but uh but uh hey once again mark spears senior nba writer with the undefeated thank you so much for your time sir pleasure
3: all right man good time talking
1: to you guys as always
2: special thanks to mark spears for taking the time and joining us on a very candid and open conversation that I thoroughly enjoyed, and I hope the rest of our listeners thoroughly enjoyed. And at the end of the day, I hope everyone takes something away from this. If you enjoyed this conversation, we're having multiples like this across our podcast network, Pure Hoops Media, this week. Uh, so if it's something you want to dive in further to, we hope that you do, and that we also hope that you take a listen to the rest of our programs.
1: Well, thanks, everybody, for listening to this very special edition of Catch You 2.0. We want to thank, as always, our producers Scott Turkin and Bruce Bernstein, and our editor Ben Wolfen. And uh, one final thought: as we, as you know, you uh, hear from me around this time. We want to just continue in this, in these crazy times, to be smart, be safe, and be respectful of others. Peace be with you. Captain Shoot 2.0 is a presentation of Pure Hoops Media.